Ivy is the oldest among us. She is now 100. Here she is. Ivy is one of those who still remember London during the war. And this is one of her memories with her sister Ethel. In our shelter, it was mum, dad, Bob, our brother, and us two. Sometimes dad would go to the house to get a cup of tea. Some people died doing that, a direct hit when they were boiling the kettle. Sometimes people would say to you, guess what? So-and-so's been killed. People like Ivy remind us of our forgotten history. This is the remembering season. Last weekend marked Hallowmas. All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, is the night before All Hallows' Day or All Saints' Day, which leads to All Souls' Day. We remember those who have died, the hallowed saints, the souls of the departed. In this place, we remembered with flickering, flickering candles those we have loved and lost. All these solemn days, as nature becomes a little gloomier too, only fading memories of warm days and light evenings. And this morning, we have stood in silence to remember those silenced by war. The silence fills our present with the past as we remember those whose futures were taken away. A silence of sadness and regret, but also a silence of protest and a silence of longing. A longing for a future that we can barely articulate, one described by peace, not violence. Poppies marked this week, mostly red, but sometimes white. In summoning the past into the present, we're trying to remember another future. The red poppy recalls the past, those who are buried in the battlefields of Europe, where this scarlet flower was one of the few plants to thrive. The white poppy, conceived by pacifists in 1926, was meant not only to remember those lost in war, but to signal a hope for the end of all war. The red poppy remembers the past. The white one tries to remember the future, our common hope for an end to all war. Fading away like the stars in the morning Losing their light in the glorious sun Thus would we pass from the earth and its toiling Only remember for what we have done
The novelist Michael Morpurgo was having a drink in his local in Devon. He was talking to a veteran of the First World War, a man who'd worked with horses in the Devon Yeomanry. Another villager had been in the cavalry and a third remembered the army coming to the village to buy horses. A while later, <clears throat> Morpurgo was on a farm with some school children down from Birmingham. He and his wife ran a charity, Farms for City Children, so that inner city kids get to spend a week on a country farm. And one pupil, Billy, had barely said a word after two years in school. Don't talk to Billy, Morpurgo was told by the teachers. He's got a stammer. He'll be terrified. He'll run a mile. But one evening, Morpurgo noticed Billy standing by the stable as a horse leaned its head out of the top half of the door. Billy was talking, and it was as if the horse was listening. I stood there and listened, he recalled, and then I went and got the teachers, and we stood in the shadows, and we listened to Billy talking. They were amazed at this child who couldn't get a word out, how the words were simply flowing. Meeting the old soldiers and the incident with the boy and the horse inspired Morpurgo to write a story about Joey, a horse purchased by the army to serve in the war, and how Albert, his previous owner, tried to bring him safe home. The story became a bestseller, and then a stage play and a film. The story is told by the horse, says Morpurgo, because I wanted it to be a story of universal suffering in the war, not told from one side or the other. If you see the play, one song in particular will haunt your imagination. The song is called Only Remembered, an adaptation of a 19th century hymn. Only remembered, only remembered, only remembered by what we have done. Thus would we pass from the earth and its toiling, only remembered by what we have done. The original hymn was written by a Scot, Horatius Bonar, who sang it at the funeral of his friend, a famous Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon. And the tune was composed by the revivalist gospel singer Ira Sankey, who was known as the sweet singer of Methodism. Sankey, with his friend Dwight Moody, wrote lots of big hymns like Rock of Ages, Onward Christian Soldiers, and Blessed Assurance. And this is the last verse of their original. Oh, when the Saviour shall make up his jewels, when the bright crowns of rejoicing are won, then shall his faithful and zealous disciples all be remembered by what they have done. In this 19th century version, the faithful Christian is rewarded in heaven by the Saviour Jesus. But that verse can't make the transition to a play about the horror of the Great War, which takes a bleaker view of life and death, which is silent on the Saviour and his jewellery, only asserting that our lives shape those of the ones who follow us. But the common truth is that what we do here and now is how we will be remembered Thus would we pass from the earth and its toiling, only remembered by what we have done. Warhorse not only remembers the past, it asks how the present is different because of who we have been in the past. Nearly 3,000 years ago, in a small country under siege from far greater powers, this is also what the farm worker Micah got a sense of, as we heard when Amaka read just now. A clue about another kind of future, Micah saw how his people had forgotten the promises they'd made to God. Life was corrupt and unfair. It was marked by show-off religion, where empty ritual had displaced the call to justice and compassion. The agreement between the people and God, they used to call it a covenant, had been abandoned, says Michael. Even the, even the leaders 
hate justice and turn right into wrong. The covenant with God, says Micah, isn't about how big an animal that you sacrifice at the temple. It's about justice, mercy, and humility. Micah looks around at how the poor are exploited by the rich, at how people have abandoned the divine dream of a compassionate society for religious one-upmanship. And then he looks into his own soul, and this is where he starts to remember the future. He dreams of a new world of peace and harmony. He sees the end of all war. He sees a United Nations led by God herself. He sees the life of the world to come. In other words, he starts to remember the future. Come, he says, let us go up to the mountain of God, that we may walk in those paths. God will settle disputes for nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Micah starts to remember the future. Reaping the fields we in springtime have sown. No, for the sowers may pass from their labors. Only remembered for what they have done. Only remembered. Christians meet across the world and through history, we often recite a creed together, a catalogue of soundbites capturing our shared beliefs. And the most common creeds ends with these words, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. This is how we remember the future, by looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. All the, all the time we are trying to remember the future. With the results of the American presidential election finally arriving yesterday, I thought back to a church service I went to in New York one Sunday morning a couple of years ago. It was friendly and open and not too stuffy, and it reminded me of St. Luke's, which I was missing. Over coffee, I got chatting to an elderly black man, and I asked him why he came to church. I live in the neighborhood, he said. I like coming to church here because it eases the pressure a little. I said to him, what's the pressure? He said, the pressure of being black in Trump's America. I think of that man today and I hope that he feels just a little less pressure in his life. One of the most powerful images circulating after yesterday's results features two black women walking along a street, an illustration by Bria Geller and Good Trouble. One of the women is Kamala Harris, who will become the first woman and first woman of color to be vice president of the United States. But in shadow against the wall, as Kamala walks, is an image of a smaller woman 
a schoolgirl with a ponytail. This is six-year-old Ruby Bridges in 1960. Ruby is walking to an all-white school, newly desegregated. She's escorted by four US Marshals. She is the first black student at this school in New Orleans, and all year long she will be taught alone. Ruby made that walk into the future 60 years ago next week. Kamala Harris was not yet born, and yet she was already in her debt. As Ruby Bridges walked into school that day, she was remembering the future, a new kind of world, the kind the prophet Micah dreamed of. She could not have known that one day a black American president would say to her, I think it's fair to say that if, if it hadn't been for you guys, I might not be here. Remembering the future may seem like an odd idea, but we look at an example every time we're in this building. In our triptych of paintings by the artist Paul Martin, this one here, you'll find prophets and saints, dancers, painters, writers, all of them hanging out with Mary and Jesus enthroned in heaven. But if you look more carefully, you'll notice something odd on the left-hand side of the panel on the right. It's an empty chair. This seat is reserved. That's because in the orthodox tradition of Christianity, from which this painting emerges, there is a seat in paradise where your loved ones will sit when they leave this life. And you and me, there is an empty seat with God and the saints for us too, and a seat for those who have lost their lives in conflict in 1914 or in 1939 or in 2020 or in the fight for human rights and equality. One of the beautiful themes of orthodox imagery is how the living and the dead are actually present together, even though we who are alive no longer see the dead with our eyes. So this triptych is a memory of the future, when all will be well, and all things will be well, and the life of the world to come will no longer be in the future, but in the present. When we meet here in community at St. Luke's, we try to summon up a memory of the future, a time when justice and compassion, healing and hope are seen in all the earth, when, as the prophet Micah put it, none of us will train for war anymore. But we're called to accelerate the arrival of that future by translating symbol into action, protest into practice, transforming religious practice into doing justice, loving mercy and walking humbly with God trying to become the people that we remember ourselves to be from the future, where our swords have been beaten into plowshares, people who share our time and resources, who welcome into our company those without invites, who block the way of those who walk over others, who ask forgiveness when we fail each other, looking for the life of the world to come by working for the good in the world that is here. There's one moment when all our remembrances come together, When we remember the past, we remember the present, and we remember the future. And we call this the Eucharist, or communion, the moment when we eat and drink in remembrance that he died for us, he is present with us, he will come again for us. Wherever you are, in company or on your own, when you take the bread and wine today, give thanks, but also remember those in the past whose lives have made the difference for us those among us now working to call the future into the present, and those in the future where all will be well 
and all things will be well. Only the truth that in love we have spoken, only the seed that on earth we have sown, these shall pass onward when we Forgotten fruits of the harvest and what we have done. Only remember, only remember.